0: This is Sugar, a tale of motherhood and medicine. If you're just joining us, please go back and start at episode one. I'm the author, Raisa Hakohen. This memoir is my experience of becoming a first time mother and navigating the healthcare system for my son who was diagnosed with a rare condition. Preparing for home Last week, I wrote a list of things I miss most. The list goes as follows. Quiet, privacy, fresh air, sunshine, fresh air, and quiet. Preparing to come home was an incredible milestone. It was almost as awesome as it was terrifying. We would finally have our own time together, our own space as a family to just be, to just grow, to just enjoy each other's company without all of the other patients, nurses, doctors, and staff in the NICU participating, watching, observing us. It was what we had waited and worked for for such a long, long time. Four and a half months is a long time to be away from home, in a sterile environment, with crisp lab coats and rubber gloves, white walls and fluorescent lights that are permanently lit, no privacy, no quiet and no control. So long, hospital, I said to myself. I will not miss you, not one bit. I will forget you as quickly as I can in my mind and in my soul, and we will only now begin to build the type of childhood and the type of life that we wanted as a family. Yet, at the same time, I was terrified. We were but two parents. No medical training beyond the past four and a half months. You had a staff of 15 trained professionals at your service at all hours. Why should we be able to care for you better than them? Because we are your parents, and we love you. We would do our best, and that was all we could ask for. So close. Home felt so close, yet so far. Every additional day at the hospital sucked the breathless life out of us a prison with wardens in white coats. You never really consider mobility a privilege until you lose it. And so we prepared to go home, a home that had been uninhabited for the past five months. The first step was to stock everything. Machines, kangaroo for feeding, a monitor for heart rate and saturation at night, and meds. We practically built our own internal pharmacy. Our last week in the hospital, they sent us home for a few hours for a dry run. I was so excited and so nervous at the same time. I packed everything we could possibly need. I remember reading the baby Whisperer many months back while I was still pregnant. And she says that you should introduce your baby to its new home. Go room by room explaining and touring your home. I had waited so long to do this, so long to sleep in my own bed, in my own room, with your ABBA and you by my side. I remember strapping you into your car seat for the first time. It felt almost forbidden, as if we were stealing you away since we had never been allowed out before. We drove with the windows down and music blasting like we were 16 year olds going on a long road trip adventure. Even though it was a 15 minute ride home, it was to a world we had long forgotten. Our normal lives, our home, our bed, our couch, our sheets, our food, our home. With peace and quiet privacy and no one observing our every move. As we drove home with the windows down and music up, I noticed a beeping. Hmm, what could that be? It turns out that the kangaroo machine which fed you continuous food and kept your sugars high is a very sensitive machine. It was made for the monotony and immobility of hospitals. Every bump, every turn set it off, and it stopped waiting for manual reactivation. So it was supposed to be our first magnificent adventure, turned into a very stressful car ride that seemed to drag on forever, as I cradled your kangaroo and manually reactivated it every time it began to beep. And finally, we were home. I opened the door and wanted to give you the grand tour, but the lull of the car engine had put you to sleep and you never wake a sleeping baby. So I let my OCD side run free, and I began unpacking and organizing your medical supplies and medications, making sure that we were properly stocked for a final discharge from the hospital. I organized the house with one central location for all of your paraphernalia, and I put little pockets of meds and supplies in each room for urgent situations. As the weight and enormity of the responsibility of going home started to sink in, my OCD rose proportionately. Instead of relaxing at home for the first time in months, I began cleaning and scrubbing, organizing and reorganizing with the vigor of a woman possessed by Mr. Clean. You woke up just as we had to head back to the hospital for the night. We got in the car and said, farewell, but see you soon to our home. As we drove back to the hospital, I heard another kind of beep. Not the kangaroo this time, but your CGM a continuous glucose monitor that we call your iPhone. It monitors your sugars and yours were dropping quickly. As I turned off the beeping monitor, my heart leapt into my throat. Oh my God. Where was your glucagon? The EpiPen of sugars that I needed to administer urgently? Nowhere in sight. I had been so busy unpacking and organizing all of your medications at home in my OCD haze I had forgotten about the car ride back. I knew that we had a supply at the hospital but I hadn't taken into consideration the ride back. Fuck, fuck, fuck. We sped back to the hospital and I felt like the biggest failure in the world. The first three hours with full responsibility for you and I had failed. Failed as a mother, as a nurse, as a pharmacist, how could I possibly be entrusted with your care at home? We ran back to your hospital room and I rushed to the medication corner where they dispensed drugs and only nurses were allowed. I grabbed 10 glucagon. I only needed one, but the nine extra were for in case I fucked up again. One went in my purse, one in your diaper bag, one in the car, etc. As I began calculating in which additional locations I could place her glucagon, the head nurse ran up to me and scolded me for going into the drug corner without a trained staff person. My emotions overcame me and I burst into tears. Tears for my failure, tears over the trepidation and fear for what was to come, and tears for whether I could be entrusted in the future with such a precious treasure outside the walls of this hospital. Home. Now, in the sanctuary of our own home, the routine was as follows. 6 a.m., sildenafil. 8 a.m., prepare nutramigen formula with polycose and corn flour in appropriate proportions. Noon, vitamin D, sildenafil, and amlodipine. 6 p.m., sildenafil. Midnight, sildenafil, amlodipine, nexium, and euthorox. Switch the needle for glucagon pump every six to eight hours. Provide continuous food 24-7 via kangaroo. Administer glucagon shots as needed for hypoglycemia. Keep pumping every four to six hours. So busy being a doctor and a nurse and a milk machine. No time to be a mother. We were now mobile, but every trip outside was an ordeal. We'd have to pack up enough milk for the journey, unclip your joey, the kangaroo's more durable compact cousin, the continuous food delivery machine, bring all the bags downstairs, put you in the stroller, rehook your joey, cover you with the right blankets and throw up cloths to strategically cover your machines, tuck in your glucagon pump to your clothes, tuck in your blood glucose monitor to your side, and then we were ready to go. One time we bumped into Stringbean in a French cafe next to our house. Wow, she said, he looks fantastic. He's so big and he's no longer hooked up to anything. What a miracle. We smiled and showed her how we had packed in and hooked up the joey to the stroller, carefully threading the tube through the back to the front of the stroller and hooking you up strategically so that the machine and tubing weren't pulling and could function properly. She was shocked and it was just another average day for us taking a trip out to a cafe back to the hospital we headed back into the hospital after two months at home you were getting your percutaneous endoscopic gastrostomy tube your peg replaced the initial peg takes two months to set and then they replace it with a more stable piece i hoped that this was another step in the right direction the procedure which also involves inserting a fiber optic scope into the throat would also give the doctors a chance to see what was wrong with your vocal cords. Had they been damaged by surgery? By the anesthesia? By all of your vomiting? Or was it something else that was preventing you from vocalizing anything louder than a whisper? If the procedure went smoothly, Dr. Smith wanted us to stay for another couple of days to try a new drug, sandastatin, again. When we were in the NICU, you were much more stable on the sandastatin, but it was discontinued due to liver damage. But the liver damage had since healed itself and the problem could have been attributed to a number of other medications you were on at the time. So best case, the sandastatin would now have no effects on your liver and keep your sugars much more stable. A majority of children with your condition are on sandastatin and if it worked, it could change our lives as it was much easier to manage than the glucagon. The sandistatin pump would need to be switched every three days, as opposed to every four to six hours on the glucagon. My life was a series of numbers with the glucagon. Sugar 83, sugar 78, sugar 65. Maybe on the sandistatin, I would have a few moments of reprieve away from your sensor, which dictated our lives right then. When we slept, when we awoke, when we ate, when I pumped. Your sugars needed to be constantly monitored and stable enough to complete each activity. Your ab and I were getting used to the exhaustion, but taking turns keeping your sugars up was a heavy load to bear. I felt the weight of responsibility on my shoulders every waking and sleeping moment. It was hard to believe that we'd been parents for six months already. Six months of switching off duties hour by hour. And as slowly as those hours had passed, they'd also gone by really quickly. You were just full of smiles and laughs. Your baby laugh was not like anything in this world. It just melted away, all the hurt and frustration and despair. You loved to dance and to snuggle. We danced together to the Beatles, Adele, Florence and the Machine, and Simon and Garfunkel. You loved it. You were talking, too. It was all gobbledygook, but it was amazing nonetheless. I was so proud of you for hitting these huge developmental milestones, and so thankful for all the good times. I hoped the worst was behind us." The road back to the hospital as an inpatient was ridden with anxiety, emotional exhaustion, and psychological torment. But I would have done anything for you, my darling boy. Anything for you? Anything for our family? It was. At the very least, comforting to know that we would only be there for a limited time. And so, I packed our bags and put on my brave face, because that is what my family needed, a brave mother. But it was your bravery, and the bravery of your Abba, that inspired me to be brave. Peg switch. The peg switch went smoothly, but wow, I did not miss the hospital at all. I had forgotten how exhausting it was to advocate for your child, their patient, every hour of the day, to make sure the doctors have the full picture and not just their little piece of the puzzle. First of all, you kicked out your IV from your foot in the middle of the night, as I predicted. You needed to fast for your peg switch and since you were on continuous feedings, they put you on a D10 IV overnight, a drip IV of pure sugar. So at 6 a.m., they had to put a new one in, and then we waited until they admitted us to the gastroenterology unit at 11 a.m. The procedure had been scheduled for 8 a.m. Why do they even bother wearing watches? If you can't keep time, you should lose your watch privileges. When we were admitted, the gastro doctors came to talk to us. We're just gonna swap it out, they said. No, the plan is that while you're in there, you need to do a laryngoscopy to see that everything is okay. We reminded them assertively. From their point of view, they were minimizing the risk by making the procedure quicker and less thorough since they were worried about your sugar dropping. They were planning to do their task as efficiently as possible, but we needed them to be effective too. We saw the whole picture and had to advocate to ensure that they looked at you from a holistic diagnostic perspective. You always need to advocate for the bigger picture. Make sure the doctors know the key facts, Repeat them incessantly until they start correcting you because they don't always have the full picture in the patient chart and sometimes they barely have time to glance at it at all. Anyways, your esophagus and stomach lining, everything looked fine. But they took biopsies of your esophagus to send to the lab only because we advocated. Then we got back to your hospital room and the other two patients had been discharged. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! A moment of privacy amid the chaos. As if a stupid dinky curtain afforded you any privacy. And since the other two patients had moved, we could move to the window seat. Double bonus. Since these windows actually opened, we had fresh air and sunshine. Hallelujah. It's the small pleasures that you really learn to appreciate. But what now? No sandistatin, you say? But we are staying hospitalized specifically for the sandistatin trial, I stammered. What? No one ordered it? Only tomorrow? Such bullshit. You literally have to shove your way through this bureaucratic system in order to get comprehensive healthcare. Well, fuck you and please order the Sandostatin for tomorrow morning. We want to go home. An experiment of hope. Freedom seems so close that you can taste it. Maybe we can go on vacation. Maybe I can go back to work. Maybe we can sleep a full night. Alas, the evil gods of Sandistatin shining down on your sugars while burning through your liver. Experiment over, back to glucagon. Maybe this time the gods of glucagon will be better to us. Lucky. Even though the experiment was a failure, we felt lucky. Very, very lucky. I had the best husband in the universe and the strongest little warrior in the world. Day three of our sandistatin experiment, they called me over to see if I could help another baby with hyperinsulinemia. No one knew how to hook up the baby's pump. Not the father, not the staff. So I put in a new needle. Then half an hour later, they called me to fix the reservoir. What? The rules were that you weren't even supposed to look at other people's babies, let alone touch them. It felt really weird to be the resident expert in hyperinsulinemia slash insulin pumps in the hospital. This baby did not look well cared for. He was huge and maybe he'd already had a seizure or two due to low blood sugar. So sad. We were lucky that you were diagnosed early and treated properly. Not all hyperinsulinemic babies are so lucky. We were lucky to have each other and we were blessed to have you. Despair. What a terrible few days we had at home with your sugars. I was sitting all day at your side delivering glucagon boluses to boost your sugars, and I had no idea what was going on. What caused this change? And again, my depression sank to despair. I am so sorry that I cannot protect you. I have failed as a parent over and over, and it feels so terrible to feel powerless, to be reactive, not proactive. I feel like we regressed a few months in the past two days, hippos every two hours, and I'm struggling to keep up, to send your sugars back up, to return the ball to the other side of the court. Your hippos are faster and more frequent. I am struggling for a diagnosis or an explanation so I can fix it. God tell me how, everything is in your hands. I am powerless. Please protect my son. Please help me protect him. Thank you for listening. This has been Sugar, a tale of motherhood and medicine. And I'm the author, Raisa Hakohen. You can find us on amazon.com or like us on Facebook. This podcast has been produced by Aaron Leader and mastered by Keith Wrigling.